Welcome to A Great Big City News, episode 28. Today, a hollow nickel and legal e-bikes. If you're an individual listener who would like to support the podcast, visit agreatbigcity.com support and make a one-time or monthly contribution. Or if you're a local business or just someone with something to promote, visit agreatbigcity.com advertising to view rates and learn more about our single episode community calendar ads and the multiple types of monthly ads available. Hi, I'm Trace Gilton, founder of A Great Big City. This week, there's no new information on the Midtown helicopter crash as the NTSB continues their investigation, but the incident has stoked local officials to criticize the conditions that led to the crash. Carolyn Maloney, the congress member who represents the district where the helicopter came down, renewed her calls for private, transit, and tourist helicopter flights to be banned over the city. After a deadly helicopter crash atop the Pan Am building's helipad in 1977, flights to helipads in Manhattan were banned, but no new restrictions have been put in place despite multiple deadly crashes around Manhattan by helicopters and small planes. In a statement on Representative Maloney's website, she says, We cannot rely on good fortune to protect people on the ground. It is past time for the FAA to ban unnecessary helicopters from the skies over our densely populated urban city. The risks to New Yorkers are just too high, Senator Chuck Schumer also called on the FAA to require helicopters be equipped with flight data recorders and cited years of recommendations from the NTSB that the FAA should mandate flight data and cockpit voice recorders. Schumer noted how the lack of flight data will impede the investigation. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand added, quote, After last week's helicopter crash in Midtown, the FAA should immediately reconsider the recommendations federal transport safety investigators have urged since 2011 and take steps now to implement these basic safety features. Flight data recorders provide critical information to help prevent future crashes, and I urge the FAA to act quickly to ensure black boxes are in every helicopter, unquote. A memorial service was held for the helicopter pilot, Tim McCormack, in Poughkeepsie, New York. A young boy entered a real-life spy thriller 66 years ago on June 22, 1953, in... The Case of the Hollow Nickel 14-year-old Jimmy Bozart was out collecting the weekly 35-cent subscription fees for the Brooklyn Eagle newspaper along his delivery route when he received a handful of change at 3403 Foster Avenue in East Flatbush. As he was walking down the stairs, he dropped the coins and found that one nickel had split in half, with the front half and the rim of the coin rolling a few feet away. Amazingly, when Jimmy found the thicker side of the coin, a small piece of microfilm was found still hidden inside it, but it was far too small to read. After taking the coin home, Jimmy thought to tell a girl in his 8th grade class about the find and see if her police detective father would know anything about it. The coin quickly made its way to the FBI laboratory in Washington, D.C., but the hollow nickel case would stay a mystery for the next four years. Upon inspection, the coin was crafted from two different nickels, with a 1948 face and a back from between 1942 and 1945. Hidden in the R of In God We Trust was a small hole that would allow a pointed device to pry the coin open. 
Only a small amount of the interior had been milled down, so the coin would retain as much of its original weight as possible. When magician supply shops were interviewed to try to locate the source of the coin, they said it would be of no use to a magician, as the interior was too small to conceal anything more than a thin slip of paper. The woman who had given Jimmy the nickel as payment had no idea what it was, and seemingly no further information as to where it had come from, and the series of numbers found on the microfilm inside proved too difficult to decode. The tool marks on other hollow coins found by the FBI did not match the coin found in Brooklyn, and even the typewriter used to type the original sheet of numbers did not match any known to the FBI. The case dragged on until 1957, when a former Soviet spy walked into a U.S. embassy in Paris and began telling a story that would unravel a spy ring operating in the United States. Reno Heihenen had taken on the identity of an Idaho man who had moved his family to Estonia. After years of studying English and obtaining fraudulent documents, Heihenen settled in New York in 1952 and began spying for the Soviet Union. He would meet with his superior officer in the Prospect Park subway station and exchange data at predetermined hiding places, like a lamppost in Fort Tyron Park and an iron fence at the McCombs Dam Bridge. In the Prospect Park subway station, FBI agents found a hollow bolt hidden in a set of cement steps that contained a small note about a meeting. Heihenen said the Soviets had supplied them with hollow pens, pencils, bolts, and coins, including a Finnish coin found at Heihenen's home in Peerskill, New York, that was very similar to the hollow nickel found in Brooklyn. Heihenen was also able to provide the FBI with information on how to crack the coded numbers found in the hollow nickel. It is too early to send you the gammas and cipher short letters, but the longer ones make with insertions. All the data about yourself, place of work, address, etc., must not be transmitted in one cipher message. Transmit insertions separately. Although the message was found to be little more than a congratulations letter, the information Heihenen provided to the FBI led to numerous arrests and the discovery of a Soviet intelligence officer and photographer whose studio at 252 Fulton Street contained a multitude of spy gadgets and decoding information. Heihenen had apparently spent the hollow nickel years earlier and sent it on a journey that would end up at the FBI laboratory. As for little Jimmy Bozart, by 1957 he was 18 years old and finishing his first year at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute when he arrived home to news reporters after the spy ring had been taken down. For turning over the nickel, he received a civil commendation and even a new Oldsmobile from an anonymous businessman. If you're wandering Brooklyn looking for your own hollow nickel, you may find yourself in Burham Hill at the Hollow Nickel Bar, which took its name from the mystery case. And if you're looking to pass along some secrets of your own, you can order a modern-day hollow nickel on Amazon designed to hide a micro-SD memory card, and you can even get an accurate replica of the 1953 hollow nickel from spy-coins.com.
This week finally brought the sad confirmation that a swimmer has been found dead after going missing during a race in the Hudson River. Renowned AIDS researcher Charles Vanderhorst had been competing in the Eight Bridges Hudson River Swim, a 120-mile-long, week-long competition that was scheduled from June 8th to June 15th, with swimmers covering about 17 miles per day between Hudson River bridges. On Friday, June 14th, Charles had disappeared beneath the water near the George Washington Bridge and did not resurface. His disappearance occurred at the end of that day's swim, which had begun 15.7 miles away at the Tappan Zee Bridge. Coast Guard and NYPD boats began searching immediately, but it wasn't until four days later that his body was discovered near Fort Tyron, north of the George Washington Bridge. In a statement from the Vanderhorst family, Charles is described as living life to the fullest and will be remembered for his work in social justice and in the medical field. He immigrated to the United States as an infant from the Netherlands and was the son of a Holocaust survivor. As a professor of medicine, he provided care to HIV-AIDS patients, contributed meaningful research concerning the diseases, and volunteered at a free clinic after his retirement. When Charles disappeared, he was under the watch of safety crew in kayaks that had been following each swimmer, and another participant describes the extreme care that was taken to ensure the safety of each swimmer so it was unclear how this tragedy took place. Last week I told you about the very first roller coaster that was built in Coney Island and modeled after a Pennsylvania minecart track. But 92 years ago, on June 26, 1927, the Coney Island Cyclone wooden roller coaster opens to the public as part of Astro Land Amusement Park. Now part of Luna Park, The coaster has been refurbished over the years, and parts have been replaced and modernized, but the current ride is one of the last remaining wooden roller coasters. A ride costs 25 cents on opening day, and the coaster climbs 85 feet and attains a top speed of 60 miles an hour. By the 1960s, plans were made to tear down the cyclone, and in 1969 the city purchased the land for $1 million with the intention of expanding the aquarium onto the property. The coaster was saved by public outcry in the 1970s and has become a recognized symbol of both Coney Island and New York itself. A morbid discovery in Bayside wasn't quite as it appeared. A baby doll wearing a crawling dead t-shirt was realistic enough to be officially pronounced dead by first responders after an early morning 911 call on June 18th. A jogger spotted the horrifying scene of a baby lying face down in the grass at 215th Street and 35th Avenue in Bayside, and police quickly arrived to seal off a crime scene. It wasn't until hours later that officials corrected their initial assessment and announced that it was actually a realistic doll that had earlier been pronounced dead without physically inspecting it. In a statement, the FDNY described the doll as having, quote, discoloration consistent with signs of a prolonged death, unquote, as it was painted gray and blue to simulate the body's loss of oxygen. Once the doll was physically inspected, the ruse became known, and when rolled over, the doll was found to be wearing a shirt that said Crawling Dead, presumably a play on the classic horror film The Walking Dead. The police have opened an investigation into who placed the doll and if it was intended as a prank. 
Your bike may get a legal boost soon now that lawmakers have voted to legalize electric bikes and scooters statewide. Previously, only pedal-assist e-bikes were legal and electric scooters were prohibited, but the law will now allow e-bikes with throttles and personal electric scooters to be used with a speed limit of 20 miles per hour and special authorization needed for any of the scooter rental companies to operate within the city. In a last-minute change, one of the most popular bike paths, the protected bike lane along Hudson River Park, was given a special exemption so that no e-bikes can use that path. A contrived statement also keeps Manhattan out of reach for the scooter share companies, prohibiting them from operating in any county with a population of no less than 1.586 million and no more than 1.587 million as of the 2010 census. If you'll be heading out on a scooter, most bicycle rules apply, so you can't ride on the sidewalk and must stay to the right on roads if there is no bike lane. Ride safe and enjoy the freedom of being able to bike across the Williamsburg Bridge without showing up for your meeting covered in sweat. Forty-four years ago, on June 24, 1975, Eastern Air Flight 66 crashes on approach at JFK Airport, killing 113 people. The flight from New Orleans to New York was approaching the airport to land just after 4 p.m. when it encountered heavy winds from a thunderstorm and was driven down quickly, clipping light towers leading to the runway. A flight scheduled to land on the same runway before Flight 66 had abandoned its approach and its crew reported being pulled down and to the right by winds and another flight had landed but radioed the tower to report a tremendous wind shear at the ground and advised that subsequent flights should use a different approach. Flight 66 confirmed with the flight controller that they had heard the report of winds by the previous flight, but they still attempted to land just a few minutes later, in weather that eyewitnesses on the ground described as heavy rain and winds. According to two flight attendants who survived the crash, the plane rolled to the left and engine speed increased just before the crash. During their investigation, the NTSB saw heavy damage to the left wing and just before impact, the first officer could be heard on the cabin voice recorder calling to increase the engines to the level of takeoff thrust. As the plane approached the ground, it clipped multiple light poles leading to runway 22L and came to a rest on Rockaway Boulevard. The impact killed 113 of the 124 people aboard, with survivors suffering burns and fractures from the impact of their seatbelts. Those who survived were in a rear section that was not as severely damaged upon impact, and those who were killed were in seats that detached and were scattered as the plane tore apart. As a result of the crash, the light poles leading up to runways were changed to breakaway designs that would not so severely damage a plane if they were impacted. There won't be a new tower rising up on the Upper East Side between NYCHA houses, as the city scrapped a plan this week that would have begun the first proposed building in their 50-50 project. The 50-story residential building was planned to nestle in between the Holmes Towers in exchange for an influx of cash to fix up the public housing surrounding it. Half of the units in the proposed building would have been market-rate apartments and half below market but public opposition and potential sidesteps around the official zoning procedure stalled the project. In exchange for the land, 
The developer was set to pay $25 million to cover half of the repairs necessary at the Holmes Towers, but the figure was criticized for being far too low in exchange for such a lucrative piece of land. June 21st will be the summer solstice, and there will be plenty of solstice-themed events across the city that you can check out. Visit greatbigcity.com and see our listing of solstice events that include everything from a church sharing success stories of their homeless outreach program, a mind-clearing hike and group meditation at Palisades Interstate Park, and a meditation circle and gong ceremony in Greenpoint. The Great Big City has been running a 24-hour news feed since 2010, but the AGBC News podcast is just getting started and we need your support. A Great Big City is built on a dedication to explaining what's happening and how it fits into the larger history of New York, which means thoroughly researching every topic and avoiding clickbait headlines to provide a straightforward, honest, and factual explanation of the news. Individuals can make a monthly or one-time contribution at agreatbigcity.com support. And local businesses can have a lasting impact by supporting local news while promoting their products or services directly to interested customers listening to this podcast. Visit agreatbigcity.com advertising to view rates and learn more. Park of the Day. Charlton Playground at East 164th and Caldwell Avenue in Morrisania in the Bronx. This garden honors the heroism of Korean War Congressional Medal of Honor recipient Sergeant Cornelius H. Charlton. In Parks events, the Parks Department will be holding its own summer solstice celebration at Socrates Sculpture Park. The event is free and will celebrate the most light-filled day of the year with singing, stories, music, and even light-up inflatable sculptures. The event begins on June 21st at 6 p.m., lasting till 10 p.m. in Socrates Sculpture Park in Astoria. Now let's see where our robot friend will be singing in the solstice on the concert calendar. Here's the AGBC concert calendar for the upcoming week. Tank in the Bays and Corey Henry and the Funk Apostles are playing the Prospect Park Ben Shell on Thursday, June 20th. The Lonely Island is playing the rooftop at Pier 17 on Friday, June 21st. Calexico, Iron, and Wine, and Adia Victoria are playing the Prospect Park Ben Shell on Friday, June 21st. Titus Andronicus is playing Rough Trade NYC on Friday, June 21st. Catfish and the Bottlemen, Sharon Van Etten, the Lumineers, and the Revivalists are playing Forest Hills Stadium on Saturday, June 22nd. Jawbox and Lipesh are playing Brooklyn Steel on Saturday, June 22nd. Culture Abuse, Dare, Lil Ugly Maine, Tony Molina, and Young Gavar playing Music Hall of Williamsburg on Saturday, June 22nd. Bambi Kino is playing Union Pool on Saturday, June 22nd. 
Diana Ross is playing Radio City Music Hall on Saturday, June 22nd at 8 p.m. Regina Spector is playing Lunfontan Theatre in Midtown on Saturday, June 22nd at 8 p.m. Jackson Brown is playing the Beacon Theatre on Sunday, June 23rd. The Ocean Blue and Suburban Living are playing Rough Trade NYC on Sunday, June 23rd. The Head and the Heart with Fitz and the Tantrums, Young the Giant, and Chris Caraba are playing Forest Hills Stadium on Sunday, June 23rd at 5 p.m. Pelican, Cloakroom, and Planning for Burial are playing Brooklyn Bazaar on Monday, June 24th. Fox Warren and Hannah Cohen are playing the Bowery Ballroom on Wednesday, June 26. And the Screaming Females and Swearin are playing Industry City Courtyard on Friday, June 28. Thanks for listening. Find more fun things to do at agreatbigcity.com slash events. Here's something you may not have known about New York. JFK Airport was previously called Idlewild Airport in reference to the golf course it replaced, but it had also been named Major General Alexander E. Anderson Airport and New York International Airport before it was renamed in honor of the former president in 1963. Extreme highs and lows for this week in weather history, a record high of 100 degrees on June 26, 1952, and a record low of 49 degrees on June 20th, 1914. Weather for the week ahead, rain through Thursday, with high temperatures rising to 86 degrees next Thursday. Saturday and Sunday will be clear to partly cloudy, with highs in the 80s. Thanks for listening to A Great Big City. Follow along 24 hours a day on social media at A Great Big City, or email contact at A Great Big City with any news, feedback, or topic suggestions. Subscribe to A Great Big City News wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Player FM, Pocket Casts, or listen to each episode on the podcast pages at agreatbigcity.com slash podcast. If you enjoy the show, subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening, and visit our podcast site to see show notes and extra links for each episode. Thanks for being part of A Great Big City. Exciting and compelling adventure.